I am glad you're here. Oh. <laughs> I am very glad you're here. It's been a very unique week, I'm pretty sure for most of you. I talked to my, my friend Matt. I usually in here somewhere. And Matt's got a couple hours. He works for the, uh, the Fox Lake uh, Water Department. And he's got a few hours, and, and he's here, just kind of uh, replenishing his soul. But you know, I, I noticed something new again, and I'm, I'm learning all about the Fox Lake Ingleside culture. But on the way to church this morning on Rand Road, folks, there's a rodeo. Oh, yeah, rodeo right here. I couldn't believe it. I'm going like, rodeo? This is so cool. All right, so your pastor's a little sheltered. I don't know. But you know, every Sunday we, we gather here to worship. We sing and we pray and we serve. And we open up God's Word. We open it up and, and just go through verse by verse by verse and, and allow the Holy Spirit to be able to convict us and encourage us and strengthen us and empower us. And we do that as a group. And we leave hopefully, well, ready, not only for today but for this week and, and maybe for the challenges that we have that we don't even know about. You know, just about every person I know wants two things in life. They want to be useful, and they want to make a contribution or be fruitful. The first section of Peter's second letter provides clear counsel on how to keep from being useless and unfruitful. This was written to believers, folks of faith, People who have come to a place in their life when they recognize that they've been separated from God. And that they need a Savior. They need to be reconnected. And that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he shed his blood on a cross to pay your debt and to pay my debt and to reconnect us. So that we might, well, have a relationship with God. He's writing to those folks to help them focus on a lifestyle that will keep them from slipping into irrelevance. I've asked Jared today to read our scripture. So if you could open up your Bibles to 2 Peter. We're going to spend about three weeks in this book. 2 Peter, right to the first... Oh, your mic is gone here. Do you want to just like get real... No. What do we do here, guys? I, I'm afraid. Do you want me to scream? Where? Anyone? I don't know. Dave's mic disappeared. Can I use this one? This is a real nice one. Hello. Oh, that's yours. Sorry, Dave. Okay. Boy, Dave. Thank you. What a servant. Right there, Dave. Thanks, Dave. All right. <laughs> Let's focus. Second Peter chapter 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ. 
our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you, and and we are so grateful that we can just come boldly into your presence, that, Lord, you have ripped the curtain, that we can just talk, and you listen, and you hear us. Father, we're also grateful that we can open up your word, and we pray even this time, Lord, that you would illuminate and you would encourage and you would strengthen and you would convict and you would help us understand what you want us to know today. Father, we know there are a bunch of churches in our neighborhood, a whole slew of them who are opening up your word today. And we would like to pray just for a few of them today. We ask you, dear Father, if you would be with North, uh, Northbridge. And we ask, God, that you would encourage them and strengthen them. We pray for Torch of Faith. And we pray for House of Prayer. These are just three, Father. But, but we know that your word is going out and that people are being transformed as they listen to you. We're so grateful, God, that we come together and praise you. We're so grateful, God, that um, on the basis of the cross and our faith that, that we can be connected. Lord, we pray that these words wouldn't just be words. We pray, Father, that you would talk to us today and that you would receive all honor and glory for all that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just look at the very first part. Chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, there are two words that jump out at me. Slave and apostle. Peter says that he is a doulos. And in this congregation, I know that many of you understand what doulos means. But it's a bond slave. It's a person, at least back in that culture, that chose to become a slave for a certain master. Literally, this person then would stick its earlobe uh, or place its earlobe on a door. And there would be an awl. And the master then would just take a hammer and the awl and, and give this person 
a pierced ear. And that would signify that, hey, they were a bond slave. They were absolutely there to be able to do whatever the master wanted them to do. You know, biblical scholar William Barclay comments on doulas. He says this, To call the Christian the doulas of God means that he is possessed by God. In the ancient world, when a master possessed his slaves in the same sense as he possessed his tools, a servant can change his master, but a slave cannot. The Christian undeniably belongs to God. Second thing he says, to call a Christian a doulas of God means that he is at the disposal of God. In the ancient world where the master could do what he liked with his slave, he had the same power over a slave as he did over inanimate possessions. He had the power of life and death over his slave. The Christian belongs to God for God sent him where he will and to do with him what he will. The Christian has no rights of his own, for his rights are surrendered to God. Thirdly, he says this, the call to call the Christian the doulas of God means that the Christian owes unquestioning obedience to God. Ancient law was such that when a master's command was given, it was the slave's only law. Even if a slave was told to do something what actually broke the law, he could not protest. For as far as he was concerned, the master's command was the law. In any situation, the Christian has but one question to ask. Lord, what do you want me to do? The command of God is really the only law. Lastly, the call to call the Christian the doulas of God means that he must be continually in the service of God. In the ancient world, the slave had literally no time of his own, no holidays, no time off, no working hours settled by an agreement, no leisure. All of his time belonged to the master. Now, Peter chose that. This was near the end of Peter's life and and really just could have been weeks or months since he wrote this last letter when traditionally he would be crucified upside down. No one knows that for sure. But this was very, very close to his death. And you know, when you talk to someone knowing that they're going to die or knowing that they have less time ahead of them than behind them, or in front of them, then behind them, they start to talk maybe a little bit differently. But you know, in Peter's tone, he almost became more forceful. He said, hey, I'm a, I'm a bond slave. I am a bond slave of God. I chose this. I want you folks to understand this. Now, as we continue to read, or as you saw or or heard the readings, you heard things like Jesus the Christ. Many of us just read that and, and, and just kind of go right to the next line. 
But really what Peter was doing is saying, hey, that, that's my Messiah. That's who I knew was coming to establish the reign and the rule of God. He said that near the end of his life. He called God his God. You'll see that throughout, that, that this was someone that he chose to bow down to, to listen to. He called him his Savior. He knew he needed one. And lastly, he called him his Lord, his Master. He understood completely. Then he used the term apostle. And so many of us, again, we just kind of breeze through this, but an apostle is an ambassador or a messenger commissioned to carry out the instructions of the commissioning agent. Well, in this case, it not only is asked to carry out these orders, but with great authority. So Peter just starts off and says, hey, I I want to remind all of you believers... I'm a bond slave of God. And I'm an apostle of God. He has sent me with an unbelievable message. And I come with great authority. In fact, his authority. Now, realistically, that's kind of an odd pairing if you look at it. But I actually think that this is a biblical pattern for leadership. People who recognize that they are bond servants of God and yet carry the authority of the, all, of, of the Almighty God doing and saying just what God asks you to do and to say. Peter's second letter is a short one, but he doesn't seem to mince his words. He is reminding those who share his faith in Jesus that they have everything they need to live godly lives. Peter is so excited. I'm not sure if his hand is shaking as he's writing this letter. Maybe just because he's older, I'm not exactly sure. But, But I think it was excitement. I think he couldn't wait to get these words down, to be able to share with them about what it means, what it takes to live a godly life. He could hardly contain himself. And yet if I look around, I'm not seeing a whole lot of you kind of ease forward right now. Maybe on the edge of your seat. Oh my word. Peter's words, he's going to tell us how to live a more godly life. Whoa, this is so cool. Now, I'm not judging you because some of, well, I am judging you. But, but I'm, I'm not trying to look down on anyone. What I'm saying, though, is that probably most of us are not going to stick our hand up and say, Oh, Rick, I am so glad I came today. We get to learn more about how to live a godly life. This is so cool. And Peter, that's the guy that hung out with Jesus all those years, and he had maybe 30, 35 years of church experience, and he's going to share with us how to do this godly life thing. Well, let me share with you. Sometimes the word godly life kind of turns us off. We put people in categories or we see hypocrites, or we see preachers. But, but really, all Peter is talking about is, hey, I want to talk about abundant living. 
I want to talk how wonderful it is to stay connected with God and how your life will change when you stay connected with God. So this is exciting. It really is. So let's look at what that everything is. First of all, all those who have the same faith as Jesus, as Peter, all those who have faith in Christ, well, they have a relationship by God's grace. It all starts with a relationship. Let's read verses 1 and 2 all the way through. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It all starts with a relationship. Faith is given by God's grace because Jesus is just and he's gracious. He's fair. Peter's desire is for God to give you more and more grace and peace. Literally, let me say it this way. His hope is that you and I experience God. Experience a rich relationship where his grace, his favor and blessings, and his peace, his calmness and assurance surround you and impact you. You see, grace and peace come as you grow in your knowledge of God and in your knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now let me try to help you understand this because He's not talking about knowledge about Jesus or about God. Peter would have said it differently if his focus was about gaining knowledge about Christ. Peter's focus here is about growing more intimate with Jesus. Because when intimacy with Christ increases, peace increases as we are overwhelmed by His grace. Secondly, those who share their faith with Peter. You have power to live this abundant life, to enjoy all that God has given to you. Look at verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for, a God, for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, God's power gives us everything we need for life and for godliness to experience abundant living. God is not encouraging us to stay connected with him just to exist, but to thrive. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, he's praying for this Ephesians church. And he says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his power. 
You see, divine supernatural power to live abundant lives make you and I useful. Divine supernatural power to live godly lives means becoming more and more like Jesus because of your connection, which makes you more useful and more fruitful. Peter focuses in just a little bit later on in our text on what this power looks like in verses 5 to 7. But before we hit that, let's look at the first part of verse 4. Because those who share their faith with Peter have God's promises by grace. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. I'm going to stop there. I think God's promises are critical in every one of our journeys. In fact, last week, if you're with us, we finished up the book of 1 Peter. And one of the things that I did in the book of 1 Peter is I did a recap, and we went through probably 15 or 16 or 17 different, well, truths that I think will absolutely transform me and each one of us. In your bulletins, if you're a seed one coming in, uh, again, we just reprinted a few of those highlights from 1 Peter. These are promises. But let me just focus briefly on a few other promises. Promises that you have from God's Word, promises that are given to you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior. First of all, we have the promise of forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We have been forgiven. Those who have come to the cross stand before Jesus, clean. And no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you are involved with right now, or no matter what happens in the future, you have God's forgiveness. Oftentimes, as we live our lives, it's hard sometimes to forgive others, and sometimes it's even harder to forgive ourselves in certain things that we have done. It's hard to get past those actions. But those who know Christ, those who have the same faith as Peter, their sins have been forgiven. They've been adopted and chosen to be sons and daughters. That's an amazing thing. Each one of us who have come to faith, our daughters are sons of God. We can just come boldly into his presence as you hear us talk about and pray through often. Believers have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's guidance every day and there's conviction. And his presence is enough and he's an interpreter. You know, one of the things um, my wife was joking with me. I'm pretty sure she was joking with me. But we were praying. And I was praying, and, and many of you know that it's just been a rough season, especially for the wager household. And, and there's been some dear people who have met the Lord early or unexpectedly. And, and I prayed for Tony Rutzen, my good friend, that God would give him grace and that God would encourage him. And when we were all done with the prayer, my wife looked at me and said, Rick, I don't think Tony will benefit from any of your prayer. 
And I looked right at her very smugly and said, I have an interpreter, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray for me, so bug off. No, I'm I'm. You know what? I am so grateful that there are times we don't even know what to pray about, do we? We don't even know how to express ourselves. And sometimes you're a little dense like me and you pray that way. But God is able to take that and that Holy Spirit is able to translate to God exactly what your heart is saying. You know, we have the comfort and the strength and hardship and suffering. These are things, again, that we are promised. These are promises that God gives us and that the kingdom is here and God reigns now and that we have a future and eternity like, well, anything that we can't even imagine. The scriptures also tell us in verse 4 that we share in God's divine nature, that we are new creations by grace. The last part says this. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption um, caused by human desires. You know, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are new creations. When we come to the cross, that we have a miracle that happens. And that we become new creations. And that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. And that we have an opportunity for us to be able to grow in our relationship. We have new perspective. We have new ways of seeing things. And we have an opportunity to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now again, having God live inside of you sometimes scares you, but it's also very comforting, encouraging, as the wisdom and the strength and the perspective that he gives you, especially even just opening up God's word, as he be able to enlighten you and help you understand what God is trying to teach you through his grace. You see, God's provision is not an invitation to be passive. But actually, it's for the opposite. In light of God's provision, in light of his promises, he calls us to be active. Shall I say, to get in the game. Faith is present and foundational, so we respond and obey by God's strength. Peter shares a common list of virtues found in every godly person. And in other places in the scripture, there is a struggle that some of us have. But it's addressed all the way through, especially the New Testament, that that God graces us, God expects us to stay connected with him, but he also expects us to do our part. That there's this putting on, there's this taking off, of some of the stuff that we have traveled with for 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years in our life, things that don't bring God glory, and to put on, like clothing, well, things that reflect God well. And God enables us to do that. 
Well, in this list from verses 5 through 7, I, I just think that Peter encourages us and paints for us a picture of what a godly life looks like. Look at uh, verse 5. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises, to put on. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, as I read through those, sometimes, well, if we're honest, we probably fall short in a few of them. But don't those virtues attract you? Wouldn't you love to be married to someone with these virtues? Wouldn't you love to share a household with someone with these virtues? And Peter's just saying this. Hey, stay connected with God. Allow God to work in your life. And as you stay connected with Him, these are things that will begin to manifest. You see, Peter is sharing his heart. The more you grow in your knowledge or intimacy with our Lord, the more productive and useful you will be. In verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind you again, the word there isn't about. It is a relationship. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting what they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Peter goes just a little bit different direction here. He says, hey, it's, it's really important that you put on these. It's really important that you stay connected with God. It's really important that you listen, you submit, you hear God. These are all things that are critical. But if you choose not to grow or not to develop this way or not to listen to God, he gives us a picture. He says, first of all, you are short-sighted and even blind. What you're doing when you obey you, when you listen to you, and that's the priority in your life, you're not recognizing the impact that you make in our world. You're not understanding what God is going to do for all of eternity and reward you for your faithfulness. You are just living, well, very carnally trying to satisfy your own flesh right now. And Peter comes back and just says this. He says, you're short-blinded, or, or you're short-sighted. You're blind. You're not seen correctly. And then he says this, you have literally forgotten the grace that God displays in justification. You have forgotten that when you listen to, well, the flesh. When you do what you want to do, when you rebel against the Almighty God, 
what kind of condition that leaves you in. He said, you've just forgotten. You've been cleaned. You're a different person. You have much more to be able to enjoy. And you are settling for some quick fixes instead of a rich relationship with me. And then Peter says this. Work hard at it. Make it your focus, your priority. We know these are disciplines in some way. He knows these are your choices, but God's going to give you the ability to do that. And if you do, God says you will never fall away. The promise says, if you stay connected with me, you'll live with few regrets. Then he ends up in verse 11. Verse 11 is not a verse for older folks. Verse 11 is not those who are on their deathbeds. Even though Peter is. It's a reminder. A huge reminder. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, faithfulness means a parade. The reminder is a focus on eternity. No matter how long God gives you or how short God gives you on this planet. He says eventually, eventually, He would love to have a parade for you. He would love to be able to usher you into His presence because you have loved and walked and listened to our God. You see, as I wrap up these verses, Peter is reminding those who share his faith in Jesus that they have everything they need to live godly, abundant lives. Every one of us. There's probably just three responses at this moment. One would be, if you're honest, you know what, apathy or indifference. You know, Rick, I like my life. I like my choices. I like being in control. I like my bank account. I like spending money the way I want to. I like spending my time the way I want. And I think, again, if I stay in connection with God, if I have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, I just think, whoa... He's probably going to ask me to do things I really don't want to do. Like, I might end up in Honduras with Caleb. And I, I don't like rain, and I don't like hot, and that seems kind of ridiculous. Why would I listen to God? But Peter seems pretty clear at the end of his life. He has no regrets here. He says, I'm a bond slave. I love it. This connecting with an unbelievable master and king. He leads me well. He loves me. He supplies my need. I can go back. I live life in spite of the circumstances. Focusing ahead. Wouldn't you want a life like that? And as you move forward, he chips away the things that are obnoxious and offensive, not only to others, but to God. And so you steadily stay connected, walk with Him, and experience life.
but really nobody can make you do this. There's another group maybe just convicted. Maybe you've heard this again and maybe something different and that Holy Spirit is just kind of tugging at your heartstrings and saying, you know what? I've been just kind of floating along. I really do want to be able to live a life that's full and abundant, that gives life meaning. And when eventually I do close my eyes and there's a funeral, it is an unbelievable expression of how much God has changed lives and how much glory He's going to receive. Or lastly, you may just be encouraged and motivated yeah. I, I, by God's grace, I've been spending time with God. By God's grace, I've been growing. By God's grace, I've been enjoying the presence in my life. And in spite of floods, or in spite of sicknesses, or in spite of crashes, or in spite of whatever, is that my God has given me peace and strength. I go to His Word often, and He supplies my needs. And I recognize that I am a son. I am a daughter of God. And this is unbelievable. This is so sweet. It doesn't mean we always stay there. But if you're in that category, if you're in the category that that Peter is talking about, my encouragement is this. Thank God that you're on the right path. Yeah, that's a good thing. I don't think you need to flaunt it, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I think what you do need to do, and I'll give you a little push, is let others know how amazing our God is. Oh, I just think, again, there are so many people in our neighborhoods, in our world, they're just struggling. They, they just are. Life isn't meaningful. They, 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 they exist. And there are certain times in their life that, well, they're highlights and they're fun. I get it. But when they lay their head down at night, there's an emptiness. And honestly, I just think we have, well, a room full of people that know the blessing of a relationship with God. There's so many opportunities every single day that we have to be able to be salt and light, to be able to share with others our hope that's in us without preaching, without cramming. Again, I was talking with Matt this morning just a little bit, and we just kind of chatted, and I said, I bet you have an opportunity to be salt and light in an unbelievable way these last few days. And Matt looked at me and he says, you know what, Rick, that's my prayer. My prayer is that in spite of all the hardships, all the flooding, all the other things, that people see that I serve an amazing God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for a man at the end of his life that he is more excited about you And more dedicated to let others know that they have every resource in order to live godly, abundant lives. 
God, we're so grateful for the relationship that you've given us by grace. I can't believe that we have the power and authority to be able to we'll move forward. No matter what situation or circumstance we're in. Lord, and ultimately, ultimately, all those who follow you well, all those who are faithful, there's going to be a party. And God, I'm grateful for that. Something we don't deserve, but something that if we invest well, we can look forward to. We love you. In your name, amen.